Okay, warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird. Hey, warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We are the hosts of The Unqualified Therapist. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to tell you our stories, share your stories, and bring on the professionals from time to time. Mental health is complicated, and we know that from our personal experience. We believe in professional therapy. Both Sarah and I use that on our own healing journeys. But we also know it isn't one size fits all. The stigma surrounding mental illness can make us feel alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're listening to The Unqualified Therapist Zinc. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Unqualified Therapist. (laughs) That's my my COVID, uh, my, what do you call it? COVID mouth noise (laughs) sound effect. Your undesirable. My undesirable, yes. On every level, undesirable mouth noise. Courtesy of the row. Yes. (laughs) She finally got knocked out in the game of dodgeball that lasted forever. I can't believe I lasted as long as I did, to be honest with you. I mean, I guess I yeah. should believe it, though, because I'm basically a hermit. But yeah. this is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> we, we are back with We Are Virtual. So we are not in the studio. So if it sounds a little different, that's probably why we're just being safe. But we are back with Dr. Katie Stewart uh, for part four of our series, The Unqualified Meet the Qualified. Yay! Yay. <laughs> so glad you're here, Katie. This has been such a great Oh my time. gosh. It's been awesome. And we're, we're, we might be ending the series. We're not ending the connection. Oh, no, we're not ending the partnership. <laughs> no. The collab. No, absolutely not. The collab shall continue. Yeah. I've learned so much. I feel like our audience I, has I, learned I, a lot, too. Yes. And I, I think like- what you've learned is that you knew more than you thought you did. At least part of what you've learned, right? Sure. Yes. <laughs> Yes. That's called You're positive so- reframing, guys. I'm, I'm yes. trying to work with you here. <laughs> You're so complimentary. I love it. You make us feel a lot smarter than than we give ourselves credit for, I guess. Well, we'll be talking about that at some point today, I think, right? Yes, oh. we should. Yes, we will. And we are the queens of that. We're trying really <laughs> hard to get better at, and we're speaking about imposter syndrome. Yes. So... Today we are talking about, uh, I don't want to call it like the leftover topic. The leftovers. Oh my God, that sounds so like lukewarm and gross. Well, you know what? I made I made notes since my week has been Listen. so crazy. I'm calling it the Pop Psych Podcast. Ooh. I like that. I like, I like that. that. These are, I mean, these are kind of, yeah, that's what it is. These are the ones that people use and misuse. Mm-hmm, well, they misuse the a lot of them, but these ones right. are the most. Sure. Yeah, and I think these are the ones that we kind of talk about maybe more in everyday conversation. Yes. Yes. See, you did it again. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for cleaning this up. Yes, cleaning <laughs> that up nicely. 
<laughs> we just need you to come behind, come in behind us on everything we say <laughs> with the little vacuum. I'm ready. I'm waiting. <laughs> They're going to invite us to the day today's show, but they'll be like, uh, can you bring Dr. Stewart? So Let's get it right, ladies. Let's get it right. So we're talking today about imposter syndrome, narcissistic personality disorder, and what was the other one we had kind of touched on? Right? Gaslighting. Well, oh, 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 oh. that's going to be a whole series at some point. <laughs> yes, gaslighting, and um, and then going and talking a little bit about just personality disorders and the difference between that and other illnesses. Yes, you know me and I like my little fun facts that I found yeah. a fun fact about. Do you know where the term came from? Yes, we do. I actually do. Do you? Yes! Yeah, we watched the movie. From Did a, you? That bla- it was originally a white movie. Yes. Yep. It was originally a play I and then yeah. 1944 yes. was a movie called yes. Gaslight. Yep. That isn't that wild? It's yes. so wild. When we, but it wasn't when we did even our t- first episode on gaslighting, we watched the movie in preparation. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I'm going to have to watch it. But I just love that. I was like, this is from a movie where the guy literally turns down the gaslights and says he's not doing it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Pretty brilliant. It is. But here's, I mean, here's that's... something also. Go ahead, Sarah. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say like the manipulation tactics. Yes. Go back centuries, I'm sure. Yeah, but it's like right, when you think about right. time frames like that, and you're like, that was all it took. And he just he was purposefully trying to make her feel like she was losing her mind. Crazy. Yeah. And he yeah. there was a painting that was on the wall and he kept hiding it. Yeah. Yeah. And then saying that he it wasn't. He's that what painting are you talking? What are you talking about? There's oh no my painting. Gosh. Mm-hmm. And then it would be wow. back on the wall. What are you talking about? I never said that it was it didn't exist. Uh-huh. Or it was that's wild. I, I really love to like looking at how things go through time. So this was what a, a 1938 play, then a 1944 film. Then from my, you know, we'll say research, but we know that means a Google search. It said <laughs> that, right, not actual research, didn't do a study, but the first known use of the term in this way wasn't until 1961. So almost 20 years. I don't know why that happened. And then I don't huh. know what you guys think about this, but I was thinking like, when was the first time I heard this being discussed so much? There are parts of Scott's bipolar disorder that led him into gaslighting sure. the F out of me. So I did know the term from that. I guess I just yeah. didn't look into it until. So Sarah, later. when did you become familiar with the term? So I had a boyfriend in college who was emotionally uh, abusive and gaslighting was one of his go-tos. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I just kept thinking to myself and like, you know, there were, there was a, like an ask Jeeves. I don't know if Google was like a thing, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't use that on it. So it took a probably a, a good five years or so after that um, or more for me to know what it was called. But I remember... Yeah thinking to myself, why is he trying to make me think I'm crazy? Like, I remember thinking that specific sentence, like he is trying to make me feel like I'm crazy. Or I would just, and and at first I would say, I feel like I'm, I would start to, I questioned myself. I feel like I'm losing it. Yeah. Am I crazy? Am I losing it? You think you're losing it. Yeah. And then eventually I realized, no, he's saying things and doing things specifically to make me feel this way. 
And that's when I started to realize the depth of the emotional abuse that I was undergoing Yeah, because I didn't even realize it at first. Yeah. Well, so for me, this is, I think, interesting. I never really paid attention to it, I don't think, until 2016, Donald Trump and mm -hmm. the alternative yes. facts. And then looking yeah. into it more, there was a lot of stuff written about this is gaslighting. And we usually think about gaslighting just in terms of romantic relationships or you know two-person interpersonal relationships. And that's not true. It can be any kind of relationship and it can be used against a group of people by a public figure you know, trying to say, oh no, this is how it is. No, I had millions of people here for my inauguration. No, that picture you're looking at isn't right. So this is something that's been around and that is used in so many different ways. But you, Sarah, you're saying the exact things that people say when it happens to them. It's, it's done over time, right? And it's, there's usually some sort of power dynamic. And I also think they start like little yes they start small absolutely and then, and then it builds up and you're like <laughs> well that's a way that's a way to kind of i don't want to say ease the victim into it but it makes it more insidious right and yeah. so you're building trust things are moving on and then this happens over time and then the victim starts to question their thoughts their perception of things, their own reality. And then, so if you're questioning all of that, that can lead to things like confusion, loss of confidence, and then dependence on that person because they're telling you, you know, what's right, what's wrong, what reality is. And I, it's interesting, Amy, I'm going to put you on the spot because you mentioned this happening with Scott and his bipolar disorder. It's not always intentional because, you know, sometimes it's, Maybe the other person is that ill or their perception is so different from what I would call observable reality that they don't realize that they're gaslighting you. And I think that sometimes that's what it was when he, especially with psychosis and such, you know, yep. he's seeing things in a reality, a very different reality than I am. He's also forgetting a lot of things coming out of mania because he was in mania mania. So yep. like, if I say this happened, he's like, it absolutely did not happen. I don't even know why you would say that about me. Like I would never say this to you, you know, that sort of thing. And I was like, I'm going to film you next time. But then in the moment, it's always too scary to, mm -hmm. to do something like that. And so I was always like, no, I'm just not going to do that because then it'll make a matter or whatever. But, um, you know, I think sometimes it can, it can be the illness and it's not necessarily yes. like meant I don't know. In in regular days, he didn't gaslight me like in normal everyday life. Right. That's a great point. And so for you, it may have been, I guess I want to say easier to recognize that this is a thing, maybe not yeah. necessarily gaslighting, as opposed to in the situation with Sarah, which she was talking about and other people in relationships that maybe the the other person is truly attempting to manipulate. And so you don't have anything to compare it to. There's no point counterpoint. It's just, this is what our relationship is. Yeah. Until the mania became so consistent right. that I started to believe that I was the one that was ill and it wasn't him because I was so confused. And so that is 
absolutely, I would say, a hallmark symptom of gaslighting. Like he kept Even telling though- me it was me, it was me, it was me. And I was like, well, maybe I am, you know, maybe I am bringing all this codependence and bullshit on us and being, you know, overprotective and blah, 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 blah. So like, it, it, it's just, it's so nuanced and there's so much complication to it. It's mm-hmm. so gray. Um, I think it can happen you know, in both of our situations, that's just two really good examples on kind of opposite sides of the spectrum. Yes, absolutely. And I think it might be important to talk about, I don't know if I want to say red flags or like phrases that you might hear if someone is gaslighting you for anybody who's thinking, oh, maybe this relationship is a little bit emotionally or psychologically manipulative. Big ones would be things like, why are you so sensitive? Right. Or and yes. we're all sensitive. So we're all nodding our heads. And and if you know you are sensitive to certain things, then maybe you just pay attention. And, and if it's something where you have maybe a vulnerability, but if they're saying that all the time, keep listening for more of these. It's just your anxiety. And that I think is, or it could be, it's just your depression. I think that can be a really tricky one because I have so many patients who I work with who are at, who've been gas, gaslighted, gaslit, either, you know, (laughs) they've been gas flamed, um, you know, by, (laughs) but even by family members. And they're very then um, reticent to share their diagnoses and their experiences with other people because they're afraid it's going to happen. For that reason. Yes. Because they're afraid it's going to be turned on them. And I mean, I think that's a valid fear. Um, That's not what happened at all. How could you think that? You need to trust me. I wish we could all say, I would love to trust you. Please show me why you deserve it. You know, how you earned it. Oh, Mm -hmm. oh, making, if you pick on someone's memory. Well, you know, your memory's terrible. Yes. And then the real kicker, I'm sorry you think I hurt you. The non-apology. Yes. The non-apology. And I don't know if you're able to do this, Sarah, like in a small chunk of time, like not to mm-hmm. do the whole thing. But I, I feel like the biggest example, the closest to textbook example of gaslighting is the relationship that Sarah had with, we call her Jill on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was her business partner slash, mm. I hate to even say best friend. I know. Barf. I know. Uh, but I have never seen anything more textbook especially with like the uh, making her alienate from all of her mm-hmm. other yeah. people in her life. But um, I don't know if you, if you remember any other things that she liked to tell you. Oh yeah. I mean, I can give very quick. So <laughs> I could either drag it out for an hour or tell you guys in like two minutes, but um, just in a couple of minutes, some of the things that she used to do um, my favorite was, and I'll never forget this exact apology was I'm sorry that you got angry with me. and I just looked at her and I was like that's not an apology and and she hugged me she was like hugging me she I'm sorry you got angry with me and like hugged me and was like patting my head that makes my skin crawl it was yes it was very yucky that was towards the very end and that's when I was like yeah it kind of like pushed her away I was like yeah no that's not an apology and that's not how we're gonna end this conversation um she used to tell me that things had never happened that did Um, you know, when I would say like, because I would, I would come at it from like, well, when you say this, it makes me feel this way. And, um, she would say, oh, I never said that. I wouldn't say something like that. Um, you're remembering it wrong. That's not how it happened. 
Um, and then it was, I would always get the, you're too sensitive. Like you take everything too seriously. I feel like I have to walk on eggshells with everything I say to you. I just can't, I can't say anything to you without you getting upset. And, um, so it made me like, I, for the first couple of years was just like, okay, I really need to like calm it down, I guess, and not get so upset about things. But she would say really hurtful and mean things. And then, you know, she was saying things to other people and I wasn't aware of it and telling them untruths about me and um, alienating people from me. And, and when it came to my cancer diagnosis, she told everyone that I didn't want to talk to anybody and that any communication that was to come to me was to go through her. So I went through a good year feeling like I had no one that nobody cared. I was like, no one gives a shit that I have cancer. No wow. one is there. Like nobody's helping me. Nobody's supporting me. Like I wanted to see if people could like cook meals and stuff because that's what I, I was doing for my family at the time. And like, I had two people bring me meals because she told everyone she has a food allergy. She doesn't want that. You can't be making meals for the family, things like that. And then coming to me and being like, well, I'm here for you. I know you don't have anybody else, but I'm here for you. And, you know, then she would tell Randy, like, you can't miss work to take her to her appointments. So I will take her to her appointments. So like she took me. Yes. So it was like, she took me to all of my appointments. And and then then, like yelled at you about it later. Right. And then was like, after everything I do for you, like kind of would throw it back in my face as though I was this like unappreciative person even though I wasn't showing anything (laughs) that was like unappreciative but when she would say like mean things or nasty things like she had said to me at one point like well you're just you're not the same as you were anymore like you're not fun anymore like you used to be so fun and this was like weeks after I'd been diagnosed with cancer and so I was like well I'm kind of dealing with something right now so no I'm not the same as I was before like I'm not going to be your fun loving life of the party friend like I used to be and I think that bothered her because I made her laugh and we had a good time and I made her feel good about herself. I laughed at her jokes. Like I was kind of like her hype woman. And so I think when so I wasn't that anymore. her purpose anymore. Exactly. When, it, when that stopped, then she kind of started to get nasty. And so then when I would say like, when you say these things, it hurts my feelings or whatever. And that's when she would tell me I'm too sensitive. Um, you know, it was, it was just this kind of like cycle of like, oh, well, yeah. maybe it is me. So then... I would say something, we would confront, have a confrontation about it. We would have a discussion and then she would sort of apologize, but not really. And then would kind of give me shit about it. Like, I can't believe you brought this up and like, I'm doing the best I can. And I'm trying to run this business while you're sick. And like, I'm doing all of these things. And it was weird because I was doing a lot of the business side of things. Like I was taking care of like payroll and I was taking care of scheduling and I was taking care of like making the creative outlet of things and like doing marketing and things like that. And then slowly she would be like, well, I feel like you have a lot on your plate. Like, let me take this from you. And I would say like, no, it's okay. Like I don't mind doing it. And then she was like, no, but really like I enjoy doing this aspect of it. Like, let me do it. And so I would say, okay. So I would let her take that. And then she would do it with another thing. And then she would insist and insist and insist until she had almost everything. And I was like, what are you doing? And then she started telling people, she's so lazy. She doesn't do anything. I do everything. Oh my And goodness. like just this sort of like was weird manipulation. But if I would bring something up that had happened previously, 
she was finally like, I have to set a rule in this friendship that once I've apologized for something, you can't bring it up again. And we are never going to talk about it again. You have to stop doing that. Like you've got to stop dredging old things up. And I was like, well, it's not an old thing when you're doing it again. And I'm trying to just say like, hey, remember we talked about this. Like I told you what this makes me feel like. And here we are again. And she would be like, no, no, that's not acceptable. So it was just this long line of, yeah, it was it was a good time. Um, And finally, when it all came to a head and everything ended, um, you know, she was just like, well, I don't want to work with you anymore. Um, Basically, like she. Oh, and when I I kind of like that's when I started to really go down a depression spiral and spend some time in the hospital for suicidal ideation. And she would like throw that in my face and be like, you are threatening me with suicide. And how dare you do this to me? And she turned it oh, all about her. So so your suicidal ideation <laughs> was about was her. About her. Mm-hmm. It was messing up her life. Yeah. Wow. So that's when she was like, I don't want to work with you anymore. Um, I'm no longer doing this. But I still want to be best friends. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like, I'm done. I'm, this is it. I'm over it. And then she played it. She used that as like a total martyrdom for everyone else that was left to make them feel sorry for her and build her up and give her build her ego and all this fun stuff so it was a wild ride so someone (laughs) like that i imagine to be just gaslighter for life yes um is there some is there is it possible for someone to just do it in a situation and not again yeah i think so and and honestly i think it probably all has to do with ego um, or identity, how, how ego, meaning how we self identify in that she, it sounds like, and of course I probably shouldn't be saying something about someone I've never met, but it sounds like everything she was doing was to preserve her image of herself. And so I think for some people, it may just be in this situation. I have to do that. This situation is either so extreme, so difficult, et cetera. She tends seems to tend more towards the potentially personality disordered side of things where everything would be about maintaining this self-image. So she is likely, if that is the case, she's likely to do this in all relationships. I mean, I watched her do it with her husband often. Of course. Yeah. And then she did bring my husband into things and would start, she started to text message him, but she grossly underestimated the closeness of me and my husband. And when she started to text him and say, like, she's lazy, she doesn't do anything, um, you know, he got started to get pretty frustrated. She was trying to get him to say things about me as well. My goodness. She was trying to drive a wedge in between the relationship I had with him because that was the closest person to me. She drove a wedge between Amy and I um, and didn't allow for years and didn't, I mean, we didn't, didn't have us really there wasn't to, any like animosity between Amy and I but we never got close the way we the would have gotten thing, right that closeness was never in reach within reach because she had put up this barrier between us and kind of fed one us you know would feed me something and would feed Amy something and like say this about me to her and this about her to me and just sort right. of and nothing bad enough that it was like friendship ruining or ending but just enough so that we couldn't get a level of closeness that she wanted to basically right. avoid us getting to. They don't, they, wow. they, alienation is a, is a, like a thing under gaslighting, correct? Sure. So it would be, I mean, it sounds like 
this would be the stereotypical purpose of it. You can't keep gaslighting if there are other people in the victim's life that they can run things by and say, hey, did you see it this way also? Or so, Amy, you would have been very dangerous. Because yeah. if you had gotten any closer, the jig would have been up. That's ex- you, yeah. You put the yeah exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We're touching it's- our no finger to our nose for those of you. For those of we you look not really on- cute while we're doing it, I swear. For those of you that are not seeing the video and are only on the radio, the radio um, is another thing. And I maybe I misheard this, but is another thing like trying to get like almost gruesome details about your life? Like could be, the- yeah, because then they're gonna use it. You know, you guys, I keep thinking about Nine Perfect Strangers, um, yes, as well as it. as well as Scientology, because yeah. this is yes. what they would do. So if you get enough details about somebody, and we might be going, yes, yes. So we, yes, we might be going a little beyond gaslighting at this point, but it's certainly how it starts. And then you get this information and then you're basically beholden to these people because they can take this information and say they're going to give it to anybody. And then you're scared to death and you're, you're stuck or you think you're stuck. And you think you're crazy anyway, and you feel like you can't do anything without this person. So, Sarah, from just the past 20 minutes, I've heard that you've gotten out of two relationships like that. So mm-hmm. kudos to you, because I know it's Thanks. really hard the way it erodes, really, because it's it's the preservation of the person inflicting the manipulation, the preservation of their identity ends up eroding the other person's identity if yeah. you let it go that far. Yeah. I mean, it would have eventually, you know, I don't know how far it would have gone if I had allowed her to stay in my right. life. I, I don't see that it would have lasted much longer had she not brought up the wanting to split from the business. Um, I still don't think that we would have been able to, to, sustain that much longer um, because I was getting real fucking sick and tired of it. <laughs> well, you realized it wasn't a friendship. I'm sure. Right. right. Um, I just, I want to put this one out there too, because this was, uh, Amy, you brought up a good, I mean, this isn't a gruesome detail. Um, I know what you're referring to, but this was just a detail. It was like, she had to know everything about me. And the very first argument we ever got into, she stopped talking to me because she found out that I had breast implants and I hadn't told her that I had breast implants. <laughs> so she was pissed, like angry that I did not tell her this detail about my life. And I was like, well, it's not like I just go around like just Wait, telling people to this. to be on your list of things that you... You tell um, every friend t- that you like, meet. Yeah, like, hey, just so you know, here are my top five that you should know as we establish our yeah. friendship. Like, I... I don't even remember how she found out, but when she found out, I was there for it. And, and she went into like a rage, like she was angry. And I was like, what is going on? It's like, why are you so, and I thought she was joking at first, like joking around angry. And I was like, what is, I was like, are you seriously upset? You're seriously mad. And she's like, yeah, I don't understand why you would keep secrets like that from me. And I was like, wait, what? I uh, I want to like move on from her, but I want to say that if she knew you and I now, I, that would be fucking great. Like yeah. if these ladies, yeah, these people that we are now, yeah. Oh my, we would, yeah. And when we did our first Tear episode about her, you would scare was, the shit out of her. Yes, yeah. we would. Yeah. Yes, we would. I, that, this is exactly what someone like yeah. the person you're describing would be terrified of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
it's yeah. it's a good fit. I just want to say this because I want everybody out there to know that once if you're in a relationship like this and if you escape the relationship that you will get to a point like when we did our first episode and talked about her because we wanted to talk about something that was like not a romantic relationship so that people know that it can happen anywhere yes. at work and friendships and um, you know all kinds of situations um, I wasn't over it and I was still really hurt by what had happened between us and I just want everybody to know like I seriously like don't give a shit about her anymore like she's a lesson that I learned and I'm glad that it happened because I have taken a lot away from it and I know like red flags and I know what to look for and I've learned a lot from it yeah and hopefully and I'm thankful for people. that yeah yeah and so now I can tell all of you about it so that you know what to look for and and be done with it and like not think about it again for a while so it's you'll get there I promise I think this is the perfect segue to narcissism so let's start with Narcissistic personality disorder, which wouldn't necessarily be everybody we're talking about when, because I do think we have to get away from just throwing out the term narcissism and that everybody's a narcissist. We all have some narcissistic traits, I think, some egocentrism, right? To, again, to preserve our ideas about ourselves. But if we're talking about narcissistic personality disorder, you know I love my criteria, so here we go. We need five of these nine overinflated sense of self-importance, constant thoughts about being more successful, powerful, smart, loved, or attractive than others. Yeah, so just start ticking them off as we go. Feelings of superiority and desire to only associate with high status people. And I would add to that high status people or organizations, institutions, etc. Need for excessive admiration, <laughs> sense of entitlement, willingness to take advantage of others to achieve goals, lack of understanding and consideration for other people's feelings and needs, arrogant or snobby behaviors and attitudes. Did we get all nine, Sarah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. And we definitely I mean, those. keep in mind, we only need five. I actually, for a significant portion of my life, was involved with a family where there were at least two members who met all nine criteria. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, that's no fun. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, it was, it was interesting. But wow. we're done with that now. But so so that is, you know, that's strict narcissistic personality disorder. So I struggle with talking about this because I saw something early May, Mental Health Awareness Month, saying that if we're going to be open and we're going to talk about mental health, we should also think about, and I'm, I'm totally botching this, but, you know, we have to include narcissistic personality disorder and how people got there. And so there are some, you know, negative potential causes like childhood trauma, early relationships, that kind of stuff. But I also think we have to talk about the dangers of being in relationships with people who exhibit these traits in a way that people who are in those relationships can get help, can end them. And it's interesting. I kept thinking about this, Sarah, while you were talking, when I worked, um, at AGH and I worked, I worked a lot with our residents and interns. And when we would talk about personality disorders in general and specifically narcissistic personality disorder, 
I would say, how do you feel when you are with this person? And we would always say like an object. Mm. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. That you are there to serve a purpose for mm -hmm. them. Yes. And keep in mm -hmm. mind, we, we also, I think most of us in this, you know, in the mental health field who work as clinicians understand that in many ways we are an object. My purpose in this relationship is to help you in some way. You know, I am here to reflect your experience. I'm here to work with it. But it is so rare that I feel like I'm an object that the person sitting across from me doesn't somehow respect me also as an individual, even though in these 55 minutes a week, I'm here for them. So when I'm sitting with someone and I feel that way, I automatically start going through the criteria for narcissistic personality <laughs> disorder in my head and, and think about, okay, like how am I going to work with this? in a way that might be positive for this person. So if you find that you're in a situation where you have some sort of relationship, I mean, it can be past romantic, is really your only choice is to like hit the road because there's really, is there a way to get through to someone with a narcissistic personality disorder? I think it, it depends And I know on... there's no like always, but you right. know, I guess more it, mostly. Well... Uh, let's say it can be very, very difficult. Um, and I think what I have discussed with patients who are involved with people who I believe probably have narcissistic personality disorder is we, we almost have to establish a limit. You know, how much time, how much energy are you willing to put into this? And I will watch my patients for erosion of identity, like we talked about, you know, for is is their mental health being sacrificed because of this other person's um, personality disorder or issues? And I will give that feedback. I'm struggling because there are ways to get through, and of course it's individual, but I also never want to present that I think it is anybody's responsibility to heal someone else, to fix yeah. someone else. That should never yeah. be your responsibility in a relationship. But if you, for whatever reason, are dedicated to this person, I would say, you know, do your best to convey your experience. But if you've done that time and time and time again, and that's not getting through, you know, if, well, let's see, how would you feel if I did blah, 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 blah. If they can't connect to that, it's, it's going to be a long road that you know, may or may not lead to a lot of change in the relationship. Yeah. It was a good question, Aim. Like, can you have a meaningful relationship with someone with NPD in those criteria that you mentioned? Mm -hmm. I didn't hear anything like they can't show emotion or right. they can't cry or anything. So can, because I think these are also things that are out there. So this is something that I believed at one point that, you know, someone with, with NPD, like can't cry or can't show emotion, but I'm wondering like, can they show these things, but they can't truly Absolutely. feel them? Well, can I would they say feel they, them? I, yes. I, I would say both. I'm actually thinking about a patient who I worked with for years, um, who would cry quite a bit in session. Um, and it was because of what we call narcissistic injuries. If they felt demeaned, degraded, um, not valued, 
etc. Tears would be easily come by. Hmm. Um, so they're more yeah. attached to something that would happen to themselves. They don't yes. have the empathy that would yes. go what along with it. Done. Something, yes. yeah, yes, to yes. others. That, that's what I would say. And and it 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 can be. It's really interesting. You know, I will sometimes just. How do I want to say this? As a way to gauge where to go in session, I will I will sometimes ask, well, okay, so you just told me that you said this to this person. How would you feel if they said that to you? And I will sometimes get statements back like, well, why would they? Because I'm amazing. You know, or, well, I would be livid, but they can't make the connection to, well, that's what you just did to someone else. And often then get angry at me. Oh, wow. gosh. Yeah, for pointing it out. So how do they end up in your chair? If they don't see that there's anything wrong with them and they're not going to come in to get treated for narcissistic personality <laughs> disorder. Hi, Hi Dr. Stewart. Not, I'm a yes. narcissist. <laughs> I only care about myself. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. No, so usually it will be anxiety or depression because of all of the ways that other people or the world have wronged them or a partner has encouraged them. And they say, you know, I really want you to go in and talk to somebody. And then I usually ask to speak to the spouse to, you know, or partner just to, to get some information. But I'm, I'm kind of giggling because I have so many wonderfully sweet, sensitive patients who will come in and say, do you think I'm a narcissist? Oh. Because they couldn't, you know, because they may have said something or didn't. And I say, listen, the fact that you asked me generally means no, absolutely right. not. And so yeah. those are actually some of my favorite times in session yeah. where I get to say, actually, you are an amazing human being. And the fact that you even think that you could be capable of anything like this actually takes me right back to topic number one, leads me to believe that somebody was gaslighting you at some yes. point. And that's yeah. where you heard this. Yeah. Well, narcissists like to tell other people they're narcissists. Like, like if yes. I was a narcissist, I would like to say to you, no, no, no actually, let's, you are the narcissist mm -hmm. in the situation. Uh, it's one of their fun, like, magic wand things they do yes because it, it takes away from this idea that no i'm deserving of all of, i'm not narcissistic i'm deserving yeah i earned it yes yes not to get too far off track but just to clarify the things that sarah was saying about no emotion and uh, no feeling of remorse or tears or whatever is that more like sociopath yeah, that, that's more closely related to another, what we used to call cluster B personality disorders, antisocial personality disorder, or sociopathy. Those are, so that's a personality disorder as well. Yes. And it's, it, so I think while we're on the topic, just really briefly, it might be interesting to talk about personality disorders and the way they kind of made their way into the DSM and into kind of our professional vernacular was that clinicians were treating people in all of the usual ways. And they would see that things like their anxiety and depression would subside essentially, but they were still having all of these issues generally in their relationships with work, with friends, you know, with their romantic relationships. So it ended up being something that they kind of put separately from the other illnesses like anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder. And for quite some time, we had an AXIS system 
where we had the five axes. And so personality disorders actually had their own axis. It was axis two. So axis one was the things we talk about, like anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia. And then axis two was personality disorders and what we now call intellectual disability because they seem to be more entrenched. But then in the DSM-5, they took away the AXIS system, which to me, I actually loved AXIS 1 through 4. I like the idea of setting it aside because it just, it shows us that these things are interrelated, but we know that if we're talking more about an AXIS 2 issue, we probably have a little, I don't know if I necessarily want to say more work to do, but this has been part of someone's life generally longer and has developed more over time than the other ones. So that we can clarify for our (laughs) listeners. I know. I just, tell me, I'm going to say this real quick and you can tell me whether or not I'm completely off base, but other mental illnesses like depression and anxiety and bipolar, those are chemical imbalances within the brain. Personality disorders are not a chemical imbalance. Is that correct? I think that's a, a pretty big oversimplification that is not your fault, Sarah. It's it's kind of how we talk about things and, and culturally how things are presented. And I think a lot of that comes from with the axis one disorders like anxiety, depression, bipolar. Essentially, we take a medication that affects chemicals in our brain. And so we mm. feel better. And so we assume that that is why those things are happening. And we can't there's still not a good you know, blood test or something that says, yes. I personally think there are some of us who have a genetic predisposition to things like anxiety and depression because of chemicals in our brain. I also know that there are people who have developed those things because of situations in their lives. Personality disorder, there are genetic factors like a family history and things like childhood trauma, early relationships, even, this was really interesting to me, but there's some evidence for hypersensitivity to textures, noise, light in childhood. So, which is really interesting, right? Because we think of that as being closer to like an HSP, a highly sensitive person. Um, And so maybe how that was handled by parents led to something. So I don't think we can say it that distinctly, but I think something we can say is An SSRI very well may help with your anxiety and depression. It probably won't help so much with your narcissistic personality disorder. So you have to do more behavioral type things. Yeah. Yeah. And be be open, which is very difficult when... Mm -hmm. You don't think anything's wrong. Yes. Is, can someone, is there a history, is there some sort of record out there that people with personality disorders can be... I don't know if cured is the right word. I don't think that that is, but can be, can benefit from therapy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And because I never, and I will tell you just while we're on the personality disorder topic, one of the things I really hate is when women in particular get slapped with a borderline personality disorder diagnosis um, because they cut or something like that. They have a history of sexual trauma. And then here, this is a personality disorder. I'm never going to get better. That's a bunch of bullshit. Mm. Um, There is a lot that we can do. There are a lot of ways to work with this. But again, it really, I think, depends on openness to getting feedback, to trying things, and even just a belief that things can be different. 
Can you very quickly um, go over borderline personality disorder? What is the definition of that? Yeah. So borderline personality disorder, I'm not going to be able to rattle off all the criteria, but typically is diagnosed in women. um, And the hallmark of it, this is interesting because we've talked about identity so many times, is kind of like identity shifts that are generally dependent upon interpersonal relationships. So someone with borderline personality disorder will often take on parts of their partner's personality. Um, And so if you, let's say you have a friend who is in a relationship with someone who got totally into, I don't know, jujitsu, and now they're in it, but Mm -hmm. then they'll have really tumultuous relationships. And so there's a lot of what we call splitting. So they'll idealize you one minute, and then the next minute you are scum of the earth. And so Sarah, you may have experienced some of this. My my guess is, you know, your former best friend, business partner, may have, have had what this is so terrible. Everybody forgive me for this, but I have to say it. We used to say just cluster B, cluster fuck. There's just a bunch of traits from all of the cluster B, which is narcissistic personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder. They're all just kind of sprinkled in. in. They're just yeah. like yeah. Yeah. melting pot. Yeah. And so, so <laughs> that's awesome. awesome. Great. Glad. Yeah. Glad so that I keep saying women, I keep saying women because it's, it's generally, it's more often women who are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Um, cutting isn't the criteria. It's not necessary. Um, so there's a lot of just emotional dysregulation and not knowing how to deal with emotions. And one of the main issues I have with that diagnosis is so many women who have it were sexually abused as children. Of course, they did not learn how to emotionally regulate there. You'll see it even in friendships. You're the best person one day. And then there's actually a book about how to be with someone who has borderline personality disorder called stop walking on eggshells. Mm. because you just don't know what's going to set them off and it's usually because of this early history of trauma I was going to say isn't it interesting how everything we talked about in all of this has just has trauma just like flowing through all of it like it is just so interspersed and I guess for me I just am starting to understand that a little bit more Um, you know and then I was reading some old like journals of Scott's recently and realizing that he just realized about his trauma when he went to the trauma therapy 30 day thing. Right. So how, how I think he took that and like ran with it, but I think that the trauma induced the bipolar, you know what I mean? Like they work together almost for each other. And, um, and so it is just wild to me how trauma triggers so many things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's unresolved trauma, unresolved trauma. And it's, you know, it's what we talked about before. It's because it comes with so much shame. Yeah. Should we go to imposter syndrome? Yes. Because is that, uh, is that the opposite of a narcissist? <laughs> yes, <laughs> pretty much. And it's funny because I have it every time you say the unqualified meet the qualified. <laughs> You're like me? Every Who's time, the every time like, we do this. Around. She's like, where, where, who? No, but it's true. Here is imposter syndrome, ladies and gentlemen. Every time we do this, I expect to get an email or a phone call from someone saying, 
what the fuck were you just talking about? Do you do you have any idea what's going on? Who who gave you that doctorate? I know you didn't earn it. Oh and, my and- gosh, Kate. No. They're but so smart. But that's what happens. And I am actually right here. I, I am prime candidate for imposter syndrome. It first got talked about, here I am with my facts again. It was first <laughs> documented in high achieving women in the 70s. Wow. Yes. And if you think <laughs> about it, so the decade I was born, they start talking about it. And here comes poor Katie. But it's it's so it's it's just this idea that you know we don't deserve our accolades, um, that these achievements that we've somehow you know other people would say earned. It, it feels like oh I didn't really do anything. Like I somehow just got lucky, and they're they're gonna figure out that I actually failed that test in two thousand three. And they just graded it wrong and they're going to come and take away all my degrees and say, you're not allowed to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't be laughing because I have felt these things about yes! pretty much every single thing I've done in my life. Uh, truly. But, I mean, you know, when you hear it, them about someone else that you believe in, it's ridiculous yes. sounding. You're like, why so, would you think that? Here's a really good one. True story. As I was finishing internship, And my side, I got a call from our department chair. He left me a message and, you know, said, Katie, this is Bob. I need to talk to you about something. Please call me back as soon as you can. Now, keep in mind, straight A's, A pluses, high passes on my comprehensive exams, great evaluations, every field placement I did, you know, doing great. I'm well on track to finish my dissertation. And I'm like, what the fuck did I do? I cannot believe I messed this up. Like what? Oh my God. This it's really happening. It's finally happening. Right. So I call him back. I was at the chiropractor. I'm like, I'm sorry. I have to make a phone call because I was convinced it was so bad. I call him back and he says, we would love you to apply for a faculty position and we need you to get your application in like this week. Oh my gosh. You're like, this is it. I'm failing. Actually, come work for us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and this is the same guy who, when he asked me to teach statistics, I said, Are you sure I can do that? And he said, <laughs> He said, Would I ask you if I didn't think you could? And I was like, Ah, point taken, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But this is, this is exactly what happens. And I'm sure you guys will relate to this too. It's largely people who are perfectionists who experience imposter syndrome. Right. Yeah. Because you can't, you cannot maintain perfection all the time. Right. And so when you see that, it's like, well, well, clearly I'm not Dr. Katie Stewart. I'm I'm a failure. (laughs) I think there's also this fear of being like an in a way, a narcissist or unhumble or like yes. a bragging person or whatever. Um, I feel it when we get emails or whatever about saying that we've made an impact on people's lives and that happens often. And I'm like, who? Yeah. Right. Or I'm like, well, like, we lucked out. <laughs> I was like, maybe somebody <laughs> paid them to write this. You know what I mean? Like, 
It was Katie. She said yeah. We're like, oh, I, you know, my thing is like, oh, well, we lucked out with that that one, like that time. Yeah, you yeah, know? exactly, exactly. Or that's just one person. I'll tell myself. It's just yeah. one person. Nobody else or feels maybe, that way. Or like maybe we should go on air and tell them again how messed up we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's an interesting tidbit. We are not alone. Around 70% of adults likely experience it at some point in their lives. Probably not as much as we do. I'm shocked at that. I mean, I shouldn't be shocked. I feel like it is a very common thing that people experience, but holy shit, 70%. That's huge. But that's like one time or another. And that's not like every day. It's not like every day you expect like the, I don't know who Um, I think is going to call me and tell me they're taking away my license, but like... (laughs) I was just telling Katie that I just started Big Magic today by uh, Liz Gilbert. And if that I'm only like this much in, which is I'm showing up like a fourth, guys, for those of you who can't see me. Uh, And it is all about that in a way, because it's about that idea of like, who me? I'm going to write that. It's already been done and it's been done better. And Mm -hmm. I can't do that. And who am I to have ideas? Yeah, (laughs) that's right. I mean, it's like, it's funny as as Amy and I were talking about it, Amy said, I feel like she's speaking directly to me. And I said, well, I felt that same way too. And I think that that's one of Liz Gilbert's greatest gifts, but also it speaks to how many of us there are out there who Mm -hmm. feel like that. That's how she's sold millions and millions. I mean, she's an excellent writer. She's a, I mean, we all just adore her. So there's that, but so many people can relate to that idea, which is interesting and sad but there's something else that she says and I can't remember if it's in that book or if it's if it was in a talk um, where I heard her but talking about perfectionism which we know is a vulnerability for imposter syndrome and something we have to work on if we're going to decrease our experience of imposter syndrome she says you know at some point you just have to be done and you just have to be a dedicated half-ass with some things (laughs) yeah Like sometimes you just have to say good enough is good enough. Mm -hmm. But when we suffer from imposter syndrome and we're perfectionists, we don't have any idea what good enough is. Yeah. So it's Mm -hmm. important to talk to other people. And as I, you know, I'm, I actually just remembered that I wrote a paper in my doctoral program about the correlation between perfectionism and procrastination. Highly correlated, by the way. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also just just how do you work with that? And I and I think the procrastination comes from if you procrastinate, that's how you you limit how you make it good enough because you limit the time you can put into it. Right? Otherwise you will be working towards perfection again and again and again and again and again. But so one way to deal with imposter syndrome is it can be helpful to talk to colleagues. But often it's better to talk to people outside the field who can give you more objective data about like, no, like I saw you work hard through this. You earned this. Whereas if you're talking to a colleague, you might end up comparing yourself to them or thinking, oh, I can do that. And then of course we know that anxiety will come in and say, they're just being nice, you know, but but we have to work on those thoughts too. But imposter syndrome is common and workable. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we want to be respectful of your time. um, So we want to let you go. Can you give us like top thing or top two things or three things we can do to combat that imposter syndrome? Oh, I would say 
this is actually <laughs> something I've done. I actually, when I start saying, who am I to, you know, think that mm -hmm. I could do a workshop, lead a retreat, whatever, I make myself sit down and answer the question mm. and I write it out. Mm, I say, yeah. well, you know, exactly what I just said to you guys. I don't mean it to be bragging. I got straight A's through my entire graduate education. Mm -hmm. I'm at least good at the book part of it. You yeah. Know? yeah. And, and it's so, so really make yourself look at your accomplishments and remind yourself that you did that, that you yeah. didn't mm -hmm. just luck into it. I remember taking a picture once of my bio that was printed in something where I presented and I sent it to my parents and I said, that's me. <laughs> like, <laughs> Can you believe not, it? Yeah. 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 And it's, and I, I think if, Another thing to do is really just talk to people you trust. Be honest about, like, I mean, I loved seeing your faces when I said all of my anxious thoughts that are related to imposter syndrome. Yeah. Be honest about it because someone else is going to tell you in a non-gaslighting way, you're fucking crazy. Yep. You yeah. know <laughs> what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. Just, just like find a way to be objective with yourself. Because yeah. imposter syndrome yeah. is not at all objective. And, and both of those things are what Sarah and I always say is it's better out than in. So yes. write it down or say it. Mm -hmm. Once you do that, it takes the power away. That's yeah. exactly right. That's why therapy works. Yes. Right? Ma'am. We're getting Preach. it out. Yes. Yes. I just recently wrote down about six things that I've achieved and they were big fucking things. And I'll tell you, it has shifted my perspective yeah. greatly in the past like couple weeks that I did it. Keep so. that paper. Yep. Got it right here. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much, Dr. Katie Aww, Stewart with us, everybody. You. Wrapping up our part uh, four of our four-part series for Mental Health Awareness Month. You are getting this within June. Um, sorry about that. And the but, you COVID know, dodgeball. Every month. No, exactly. <laughs> every There's month. no reason. There's no reason yes. to mental not health awareness. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. And it won't be the last that you've heard from her. We will have her back on because she's amazing. We love her. You love her. Um, so there's no reason for her to have that imposter syndrome here, right? <laughs> None. It Zero. doesn't require a reason. That's the problem. No, exactly. That's true. That's true. That's true. Laying down the truth you. as she leaves. <laughs> yes. Thank you again a million times. Yes. Thank like you. we cannot thank you enough for your expertise and for your um, just empathy and your understanding and kindness through this whole thing and helping us learn more. So we're so appreciative of you and we can't wait to have thank you back. Thank you, Katie. I will be back. I'll be back. <laughs> this episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner. Theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. Editing and production by Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this, join our fan club at patreon.com slash unqualifiedtherapistsinc. Follow us on Instagram at unqualifiedtherapists, where you will find our link tree to all things here at the UT. If you have a story to tell or a topic you'd like us to discuss, email us at unqualifiedtherapists at gmail.com. Until next week, warrior. Hold on. We're going to make it. Say it now, say it proud, shout it out, make it where we go.